0: Hello and welcome to Beyond the Page, A Life is Story podcast. Uh, This is our first episode of 2021. We've taken about three months off, uh, took a bit of a break at the end of the year, and my family and I moved about 4,000 miles in an ocean uh, to England. So moving during a global pandemic is not something that I would necessarily recommend, but we've come through it and we're set up and I have the office Uh, back and ready to go, and actually the day that I uh, got the office all put together, I um, came across this book and this author, Kevin Weeb. and uh, Kevin is the author of Faithful and Small Things, How to Serve the Needy When You're One of Them, and uh, he reached out to me about the podcast, and um, we, we got this set up pretty quickly, and I'm excited to have him on today, so Kevin, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks for having me, Josh.
0: So I guess just to start, uh, let's let's begin with why you felt compelled to write this book.
1: Yeah, well, it's kind of a, an intersection of a few things for me. It's um, a topic where I have a lot of personal uh, stories and experience, uh, stuff that I've uh, lived, both uh, growing up in, in a context where money was not overly abundant, and um, also an area where I've studied a lot, and and something that that just uh, means a lot to me. Something I, I try to live out as well in terms of helping other folks out when when and how we can, uh, both as uh, as an individual, um, and also as uh, as a church community and as the leader in in a church community. And so, with all of those kind of factors playing into it, um, it just seemed very natural to to write about that as as uh, as my first book. I mean, I'm hoping. I'll, it won't be my lap, but um, it, yeah, it, it was just very natural because of all of those factors to to uh, take on a topic such as this.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the, what really drew me to the book was that it talks about giving when you are someone who also might be a person in need of assistance. We tend to have this idea that there's these like social, you know social strata. Of the people who need help and the people who are the helpers, and this sort of deconstructs that entirely, and um, instead says, you no, know, you have the ability to to help other people, and you have the ability to uh, be a part of a community where everyone is de- interdependent on one another. Uh, you don't have to just rely on people who are more financially well off than you. Uh, and this, I think, really changes the way in which we look at poverty and poverty alleviation. So, how do we begin to to shift that paradigm from what we might typically see?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. It's it's definitely a a really kind of big thing to do. And there's a couple things we've got to be careful about as as we do this. And I I realize I. Um, I don't I don't know if I even touched on this exactly in the book, but there's a there's a there's a piece of this that that's very important. One is when we view the those in poverty as helpless, then we do them a disservice, right? And that whole kind of God complex people have is so unhealthy when trying to to reach out to those in need. Um, but yet there's also on the flip side, if we kind of go to the other extreme of of looking at people in poverty and thinking, you know, yeah, they do have something to offer and, and all that, and then just use this kind of message to dismiss them and say, well, these are your problems and I don't need to help. And that's also a kind of toxic um, approach to it as well, a means of dismissing people. But there's this this space where we can um, meet in the middle or where we we can meet one another, not as, as dismissing one another, not as saying, you know, I have all the answers or you need to deal with your own problems or all that, but where we can encounter each other as fellow human beings. And, and the definition of poverty that I work off of in, in the book is um, something developed by a guy named Bryant Myers, and and he talks about poverty as a series of broken relationships, and and in those broken relationships, then we we experience poverty in in different ways, and it, it can be um, relational poverty, it can be spiritual poverty, it can be financial poverty, uh, and so in in the, these broken relationships, then um, when we recognize the poverty within ourselves we come to a place of seeing well someone else has less money than
0: me and they're in need
1: in this very particular way but you know i'm also broken in a different way so i I can't have a god complex as i approach them because that would just be kind of hypocritical and and just be something fake and phony anyway um so then it develops a kind of humility within ourselves as we approach this topic and as we approach helping and then it also um provide some some well just level ground for all of us that you know we all have these kinds of brokenness within ourselves so let's do what we can to help each other out also do what we can to learn from each other and also then realizing that when we internalize our socioeconomic status it is just devastating to all involved like if we um, grow up rich and think then we have all the answers because we had lots of money uh then then that's toxic this we grow up uh, with less and we internalize our poverty and think, well, because I have nothing then I'm worthless. That's also devastating both to ourselves and also to, to those around us because we could potentially be making a difference in the world. And we're not even acknowledging that we have the capacity to do that. And I've um, lived that side of it um, quite a lot um, and, and overcome it largely though. it still kind of pops up from time to time, those kinds of attitudes of well. I, I can't do anything to, to help anyone. Who am I, you know, but um, but yet, there, there needs to be a shift that takes, that takes place in, in, uh, in recognizing that we're all people. We all have our own brokenness. We all have our own poverty to deal with. And, uh, and it's not only on you know, one group of people to, to help and another group of people to receive, but that there needs to be more of a mutuality going on in, in these kinds of discussions.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, when, when the message is that money fixes problems the sort of corollary to that is that then the poor cannot solve their own problems. And right. that, that creates issues on both sides. Uh, if you are um, economically disadvantaged, then you begin to think there's nothing that I can do to solve this. Um, and then the, the converse of that becomes, you're not allowed to do anything to solve it because the people even the people with the best of intentions come in and try to solve the problem for you and oftentimes don't even really involve you in the process um, so yeah. it, it almost becomes a matter of education to to you know you, to empower the poor and not even necessarily empower the poor to become wealthy but empower the poor to have a voice. In how their poverty is alleviated and how they can take charge of that, uh, because otherwise, it, it, it. I almost liken it to, and this is this is um, has more to do with um, with like missions, uh, but like international missions groups. A lot of times, short-term missions will go in, and there'll be a short-term infusion of you know whatever for a week or two weeks. Um, but there's if if ten years later. The same church is sending the same short-term missions group to the same city to do the same things. Have they really made any difference during that time? Have They, they haven't created any lasting change. So it can make us feel really good uh, when we continue to do these things. But are we really creating any sort of lasting change uh, or are we just creating a dependency Um and a sense of helplessness when what we need to be doing is really empowering people to uh, take charge of their own advocacy and to use the resources that they have. And then we, you know, other people, everyone needs to be using the resources that they have, whether it's money or time or talent or knowledge, whatever that might be. Uh, Where do we begin with, and, and I guess we'll we'll keep this on the side of the economically disadvantaged. Where do we begin in telling people you can take charge of this? Uh, you, you know, you can stand up for your own rights.
1: I, I think where we begin is uh, uh, w- while we want to talk about it figuratively, I, I want to use a actual location as a, uh, as kind of a, maybe a metaphor. We begin in places like our living rooms and places like around our tables. Um, because when we do that, it, it, it necessitates some kind of relationship that we're going to let someone into our home. It necessitates a space where we, um, we are opening ourselves up to someone and, and having a conversation in, in a setting where it's not only like uh, top down or whatever, but where we each have an equal seat at the table or, or a spot on the couch or whatever and and we we begin to have relationships with people um there's a lot of education that that could take place but the the context in which that education takes place is also important and and that requires i think it, it happens most profoundly when it happens through relationships and friendships where people encounter one another um not just as as in these kind of unhealthy contexts that we set people up as as you know um the, a guru or or the the fixer of our problems or some pedestal or something or where we encounter someone as oh they're they're the poor and we can look down on them and pity them or whatever but where we encounter each other as people and then that that's where we begin is in those relationships that's that's what i believe at least that's what i've seen happen in in people's lives is when they have those those friendships those relationships then it can begin to to make some of those changes or some of that education goes an awful lot further Um, one of the examples I give in my book um, is when uh, people can sometimes self sabotage. And this was a a kind of thing in my own life where I almost dropped out of university um, or almost quick before I even started, just because I, uh, you know, think of the ivory towers and whatever and thought I just don't belong there. I was a poor kid from uh, up North in the sticks in this really rural area that even most rural areas don't know about. And, and so then I almost didn't go because I just, felt like I, I don't belong in a place like that. Right. But then as a pastor, I've encountered a lot of other people that struggle with that exact same thing. And it's, it's in conversations in our living room, in the context of friendship or in the context of just sharing my experience, but Hey, I, I've been there and, and this is what I felt. This is what I thought about myself. And this is the kind of lie about who I was that I needed to expose because I was, you know, making major <laughs> life choice based on a lie that i you know then that I didn't make thankfully i did go to school but then then as i've seen some of these these folks make healthier decisions and not sabotage their own opportunities then it, it resulted in in changing quite a few things in their in their lives over the course of uh of time and effort and all that and it it just was it wasn't some big seminar it was a cup of coffee in our living room or a uh, a meal around our table and and just sharing of, of stories and life experience and in a context where we actually care about each other where it's not, hey, I have all the answers for you but it's more, I care about you and I care about your well-being and here's something you might not have thought about of, of this path that you're thinking of taking rather uh, for good or, or if it's a poor choice then, then something that might be unhealthy and damaging to them and then in the context of that, that friendship and that relationship uh, me. Then, uh, then things things can begin to, to change much
0: more profoundly. Mm-hmm. So it really begins then with relationship. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's got to be the key. Uh, and, and and I think that's what's missing uh, in a lot of how we do poverty alleviation, poverty relief. That either um, I think we can we can sort of look toward the. And my my experience is uh, in the states, so it might be different for you in Canada. But in, in I can say that in the states, I can look toward the very more conservative, um, you know, traditionally Republican, Christian evangelical side that might be more very individualist. Uh, very much we will come in and and help you, but there's not. There's, there's not as much of a sense of personal relationship there. It's definitely, this is a ministry too. Uh, you know, a lot of, um, I, I lived for seven years in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and a lot of mega churches, a lot of churches in the suburbs that had inner city ministries, but not a lot of churches that actually were in the inner city all the time. It was a ministry to, not a ministry in. And then you look at the other side and you might look at more progressive denominations, um, maybe traditionally Democrat and their political leanings, and they might look more toward uh, political uh, options for poverty relief. And that itself is just as big and just as impersonal. Uh, So we see that on, on both sides, regardless of political affiliation, regardless of religious denomination, it seems like we're missing that personal element when it comes to poverty relief. Uh, and it, it begins with something very simple. And that's just actually knowing the people that you're helping.
1: Yeah. And that, that's like a, a big piece. And in, in polarized situations, um, we often dismiss uh, the side we disagree with more and we, embrace the side or maybe ignore the faults of the side that we agree agree with the most um but it, it's one of those one of those things that there's there, there's true elements and good things on, on both sides so like on the uh, conservative uh leaning side of the spectrum there's where there's a focus on kind of individual um efforts and whatnot there's like there, there's the truth that we all have to make the choice ourselves to help and there's, there's a, the piece of us donating money to, to certain causes um, to make a difference. That, that is a, a good thing when it's donated towards a good cause. And, and those, those kinds of uh, individualistic responses aren't, aren't entirely bad. Like We all have to make those decisions, and there's a lot of uh, great work being, being done there. And on the flip side, on the more progressive leaning where you're looking to political solutions, we do need political solutions at times. Uh, we, we do need changes to the systems that we that we exist in i mean every um, every place where there's humans we 've built these systems to organize ourselves in certain ways, and there 's a certain utility to that where it 's very practical to um, build a system to to work for as many people as possible um, You know you need to get from point a to point b, build a road, but uh, there 's always going to be the the farmers whose fields you're building a road on top of, you know? And, and so then there's people that, uh, that are damaged by our systems. And so then we need to figure out ways of, of adjusting our systems so that we're, we're not, um, you know, paving over something we shouldn't be paving over or destroying something we shouldn't be destroying. And, and, and so both, both sides of the, um, you know, just give money to your favorite charity, uh, and then that's good enough. And then the, uh, addressing our political systems on the other side. That's, that's, you know, that's also a, a perspective, but the the thing is like, like when Paul in the Bible in in Corinthians 13, the, the love chapter, he talks about um, if you give all you have to the poor and even give your own body to the flames, but you have not love, then it's nothing. Right. But how can you love without a relationship? How can you love without a friendship? How can you love someone without knowing them? It doesn't really work. And, and Shane Claiborne talks about this um, when I interviewed him for uh, the Pavology series that I made a few years ago. He he said, he doesn't think that it's Christians don't care about the poor, but for so many, they just don't know the poor. And our society is built in ways where it's so easy to to isolate ourselves from, from people. And I mean, I, I get this. I live in a rural area. My nearest neighbor is like across a farmer's field from where our house is. It, it's easy uh, to isolate ourselves. Right. And, um and and even in town say they, the city of Windsor which is close to us um, was discussing the possibility of banning what they called snout houses where it was like on the street you probably know that the houses i'm talking about where there's like a big garage and maybe a, a front door and one window or something but most of the house is to the back so people drive into their garage and you know go into their house that way and they never have to interact with their neighbors because their yards have tall fences and They they just never need to see anyone, and they thought this is kind of unhealthy for the community, right, where you don't have to see your neighbors. And so they were talking about banning that for a while. Um, But I think it's just this instinct within us that this this way of isolating ourselves isn't healthy. And we need to be intentional then, whether you're in a city with snout houses or whether you live in a rural area like me, surrounded by farmer's fields, we need to be intentional about um, knowing people and building relationships and friendships with people. With people that that are are maybe different from us or even just just people down the street Mm
0: -hmm. it's been so hard especially this past year with covid and you know all the restrictions and wanting to be safe and you know and unfortunately to to best help your neighbor at times meant to be meant to stay away from them um and you know i see it as someone who has just moved into a new community uh, into a new culture and I would love to be out and about and meeting my neighbors and getting engaged in the community. And you know, right now we're still at a place where in, in the UK where everything is shut down. And you know, the light at the end of the tunnel is there. But for the people for whom this has been, you know, a year um, because of economic issues, we have more people that are that are dealing uh, with poverty, that are dealing with job loss, and it's even it's even easier to miss out on all of these needs because of uh, the fact that the isolation has been a recommendation. So I, how do we continue to create that community uh, when, and, and I know that COVID won't last forever, but even culturally, where we've developed that sense of isolation, where we don't really talk to our neighbors, where it's very difficult to, um, because community engagement requires a willing community and it's hard to like begin that. So what can we, what are some practical things we can do to engage our community? And I think especially now, uh, engage them in a safe way.
1: Oh man, that's probably the million dollar question. Uh, there's, uh, there's a lot of creative things that I see people doing. Um, there was a news article a while ago, um, from somewhere here in southern Ontario and this one group of people brought uh, brought some alpacas to a nursing home and they just kind of took some time at each window with this alpaca so that the folks in the nursing home could, you know, see a face, see an animal they probably hadn't seen in a while and just to, to kind of, you know, bring some some happiness and joy and cheer into into their lives for a few moments and, and you know, it, it was a really nice feel-good story and uh, actually, we, we have a couple of alpacas as well, but they're not halter trained well enough to do something like that. Um, but, like, there's all kinds of creative things people are people are doing to try and connect. Uh, Canada Post sent out um, free postcards this last week where it said uh, reach out to someone that you think could use cheering up, and here's a postage-paid postcard, so you just fill it out with an address and a note and drop it in the mail, and you don't have to pay a penny to uh, to cheer someone up and let them know you're thinking of them and oh man like it's 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 really tough like i i'm a big believer in incarnational theology and that's the kind of concept that you know jesus came to earth as a person he didn't come as a disembodied spirit you know he came as a human being he was here in the flesh and so too a lot of our theology needs to be lived out and worked out in real places in real times and so it's gonna look different everywhere um that we that that we are in one place. The context might be quite a bit different than in than in another place. From you know the U.S. to Canada to the U.K. to other parts of the world, and even from neighborhood to neighborhood. But I think there's there's just a, a lot of ways um, to do that. Although it's not it's not going to be perfect. And this is what I struggle with as a pastor right now. How do we do that when like you said when Sometimes we gotta keep people safe by staying away, but yet there's all kinds of other, uh, devastating factors going on when people need someone to pray with them. I spend, spend time on the phone with people just listening to their stories and praying for them. Um, we dropped off, you know, gifts on doorsteps and whatever, um, already throughout, throughout, the pandemic. Um, and there's, there's lots of little things, but it, it feels like it's not doing enough. You know, like, and, and so I don't know if I have a really good answer to, to your question or some, some big picture solution, but um, just being being present in people's lives in whatever way we can, in whatever way people connect with. If it's, like, um, our church doesn't really do a lot of Zoom kind of stuff. Um, and, and, and for our congregation in particular, being a rural congregation, uh, the lockdowns have been particularly hard for, for our people because, very big on like just being together that's just something that um has has been very important to our people over the years is just spending time together in in fellowship and in worship and not being able to do that has been really challenging Mm
0: -hmm. yeah yeah i I think the i don't think anyone has a great answer for it and um you know we've seen any number of responses to responses to it and um it, it's, it's a very difficult situation all around, but I, th- I also think that it has um, helped us see, number one, the importance of community, uh, the importance of being able to gather together. And it has, I think, helped us see how we can do that in ways other than gathering physically, kind of you know, shaking yeah. us out of the sense of uh, this is the way we've always done things because now we can't do things like that. So we're forced to, mm. to figure out new ways of doing things and new patterns of doing things. And that can be that, that can be a good thing. Um, and, and through that, we might find that a, you know, a greater sense of community because if your habit is just like, oh, I go to church every Sunday uh, and that's my sense of community, um, it can be kind of passive um, just because it's, it, it's your habit. You've always done it. Your parents always did it. It's just in, in your... Just what you do, uh, and now, now you really have to try to be engaged in community, to be in community. And I think that for me, uh, as a pastor, at the first, at the you know, beginning of this pandemic, was just like, how do we keep people engaged without that physical element? Uh, yeah. Because it, it, it definitely is harder. It's harder to do, um, but I think it gives us opportunity to to learn, to learn, and to grow. Uh, what are some practical ways that you've seen pandemic aside uh, that those who are struggling socioeconomically what are some small or big things that that they can do to be generous and to help with poverty relief yeah it's
1: one one is food we we help by Giving food to people, you know, uh, that are that are in need, and it doesn't solve all of people's problems, but um, it's it's a way of showing love. So if someone in our community is going through something, um, you know, has a medical problem and is out of work for a while, so you know, struggling a bit financially, or has to take time off because their child's having a surgery, or um, you know, any number of things, and just the simple act of bringing food, we're pretty good at this as Christians, but um, it can actually be very very helpful um for people and and it it shows love in a way that most of us are are okay with excuse me sorry just took a uh, bit of a drink um but there's like I'll, I'll tell you a story about what happened at our in our congregation uh it was my first couple of years here actually my first year and uh we had a a budget crunch and the the board and bookkeepers and whatever were like cutting everything from the budget. And so um right off the bat my salary was reduced. All the committee things were um you know cut. So they were like, okay, your our committees can plan stuff, but you're gonna have to do it without money. <laughs> and and so then it came to uh the line in the budget that was for benevolence giving. And so we our, our deacons would typically uh give out a few gift cards throughout the year Um, to, to families in need as they'd encounter them, you know, typically like a hundred dollar grocery gift card or something like that. But then we were looking at that and we're like, oh man, we're just cutting everything. And the question was, do we cut this from the budget? And the room was just silent. And all of our leaders were like, we don't want to cut this. This is part of the reason like we exist as a church is to show God's love to the world. And this is a, like representative of so much. But um, money being what it was and the finances being what it was, we decided, okay, we will cut this from the budget with a very, very important condition. And that's that we come up with an alternative. And the alternative that we did was just just knowing how we often give is that giving money is sometimes difficult for people. um, That that to give, to, to write an extra check in a given situation or to just give more to the church is often challenging for people. But if we would um, come across a need, like the examples I gave a moment ago, we would come together and ask people to just bring some food from your cupboards. So they're not writing a check, but they're bringing a separate offering, if you will, to the church to gather a, a food collection for this family in need. And we, we decided right, right off the get-go that we wouldn't, um, unless we – knew the people and knew it would be appropriate to um, provide the names of of who we're uh, giving to, but the general rule of thumb is we we don't do that because then uh, we don't we don't want people to feel like they have a big billboard on their head that says, "Look at me, I'm poor you know um, so we we our our leadership will know who it's going towards and possibly the person who brought it to, to our leadership to notify us of what's going on. But then we plan it a week or two ahead of time. People bring their um, you know, canned food items or other food items to church. And, and then we deliver this to a family in need. And, and that, that kind of radically shifted a lot in, in our church. It's just that It's a fairly small change. Um, but within the first year of making that change, uh, in a time when financially we were not doing well at all, But just in the number of grocery gift cards we got on those food collections, we gave away more money's worth of grocery gift cards in the first year than we had in the last three years combined. And that's, you know, on top of the bags and bags and bags of groceries that people brought because there was something about participating in a very specific thing rather than just being, you know, writing some check as a uh, nameless, faceless thing, you know, just well, we could all give $2 more. A month to the church, and then that would solve this need. But, but it's so disconnected from what we were doing. And then the stories that started coming back from that was um, quite astounding. Where, you know, there was one situation where, um, uh, someone's neighbor had been going through cancer treatments, uh, had some social support in, in Canada. There's a number of those available. Uh, but they were they'd gotten back to work, but didn't have their first paycheck yet. So there's this there's this gap in the in the welfare system. Um, for some of those situations where the money ran out from the government, but they didn't get their first check from their work yet. And, um, the details of this didn't really come about till afterwards, but, um, we knew it was just a hard time for them and that, that they had gotten back to work. So we made this collection of food. We brought it over. Uh, this person was on the phone. It was a single mother and they, they hung up the phone and here they were on the phone with their mom to ask how do I feed my children i said them breakfast we have no more food and um i don't have money to buy any and my check doesn't come till next week how do i feed my children and that's when the doorbell rang with us with the church and it's just uh, i think the lord's planning in that um cuz we we didn't know so many of those details but we show up uh with with just this it, it's not Miraculous of what we did. It's not. It's not complicated. We all just pitched in a little bit from our cupboards. Uh, a few people brought some grocery gift cards they picked up at the store, and the the timing of it was such that right at the moment when this this young single mother needs to feed her children, and all she has is things like ketchup and mustard. That's when you know this this all happened. It was very you know emotional and moving and everything. And that that was pretty early on in this process and. Um, kind of got us quite excited about it, about what can happen when you just are faithful and offering something fairly small. Like, you know, you think of a group of people getting some canned goods together. It's not like a huge or complicated or um, it, it's not something flashy. You know what I mean? Grabbing a few cans from your cupboard and bringing it to church. Like that's so ordinary, but yet it was a, a profoundly impacted someone's life. And, had some kids that were otherwise going hungry that day you know like it, it's, it's a big deal some of these little things and that's um one of the reasons i really like the title of the book faithful in small things is because i think god uses some of those small things in really big ways um, even if it's maybe not big on the outside but in our hearts the act of doing the faithful or being the act of being faithful in the little things um is used in our hearts in really big ways as well mm-hmm. and and that's there's something really profound about that
0: yeah it, it's that sense of uh, it's the, the story in scripture you know, where the little boy offers his lunch and, and Jesus uh, expands upon it to make it feed thousands. And but sometimes it's okay if the five loaves and two fish just stay five loaves and two fish. You know, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be that, that God takes what you have and makes it feed 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 people. Um, but just the act of sacrificial giving what you have um, mm. and the fact that it, you know it covers what it's supposed to cover it, it builds again it goes back to that sense of community That you you're building that sense of community that when when i am in need i find myself helped by those that have the time and the talent and the the, the money to help and when others are in help or when others are in need then we find others that can that can help as well. It's the community working together uh, so that when one member of the community has fallen, the rest of the community is there to to help pick them back up. And that requires yeah. a that re, that requires a vulnerability that is difficult uh, because it re- requires you to admit your need. And that can yeah. be, that can be a very hard thing in the church, I think. Um, some of it's related to pride, and, and some of it is related to a, a uh, to a secular and church culture that says that, well, you shouldn't be poor if you either had more faith on the religious side or if you worked harder on the secular side, uh, then you wouldn't, you would have been prepared for whatever economic distress that you're in. Um, so there's a sense of it requires community and it requires vulnerability in order to create that that sort of of community. Um, the it, it, it's hard to it's hard to break the ice on that. I think. Yeah. It's hard to get people to to feel safe uh, in that sort of community. But once you get it, uh, then then I think you've got it. Um, one question that I wanted to ask you, uh, and I'll try to ask it in the least loaded way possible. Uh, Uh-oh. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus was poor. Uh, you've, you've talked about you, your desire for like, you know, an incarnational ministry. Jesus was poor. Uh, he lived and worked among the poor. Do you believe that Jesus calls his followers to be poor? Or what what use is there in wealth to the Christ followers?
1: Oh man. I don't know if I don't know if Jesus calls us all to be poor, but I, I think we need to realize that we all are in the first place. That that the when we talk about poverty and money that the, the greatest wealth isn't isn't a bank account. Um, and, and so in, if, if the question is, does Jesus call all of us to you know, give away all of our money and to live in poverty ourselves, uh, I'm not sure what that kind of perspective does is, is it normalizes poverty as something that, that we should pursue. And I'm not convinced of that because as soon as we want to reduce and alleviate poverty, then we're we're making a judgment call that this is something not good, that this is something that we want to get away from, right? And and there there is one perspective that is, that has some some value in that. Uh, it's it's a loaded perspective though too, so I want to be careful how I how I talk about it. But in, is, if you put more people into poverty, then there's more people in need and less um, available to share. As soon as you bring someone out of poverty, then that person will have more to be able to help others. And so then, you're, if you want to look at it purely in terms of numbers, then you have someone that is, you know, always in in need versus someone also contributing um, in a financial sense. Then you want to get more people contributing and less people in need to the point where you don't have to, you know, you're not going to have people in need anymore. I mean, I I know it's a very oversimplistic and naive perspective on, on it, but that's why I think thinking about it in, in a bit broader terms of what poverty is, that I don't think the question is are we in poverty? Because all of us are in some to some extent or another. And some of it is actually um, a bit more uh, uh, I, I want to use the word pitiful, but I don't want to You know what, I'm going to go with it. Some of it's a bit more pitiful than others when it becomes, like, I I share a story in in my book about um, the the premier of Alberta where I used to live and grew up. Um, He pulls up to a homeless shelter at one point and he was intoxicated and he throws change at the people and, and just berates them to get jobs. You know, he's ranting against these people that are homeless. But yet, that event revealed in him a brokenness, a struggle with addiction that, that shows there's, there's a type of poverty going on in him that while it didn't have the same financial consequences, it resulted in a, um, a character deficit or a compassion deficit or just making these choices that are really, really bad as you know, the most powerful man in the province. That, and that position comes with a lot of wealth. And all that. So while, in a financial sense, he was by no means poor, Um, there was a type of poverty in him that is identical and just as bad as those he's berating. You know, and so that hypocrisy is just so glaring that it becomes pitiful in my in my mind. Even though, you know, we should have compassion on all people, and perhaps pitying them is not not the best the best thing. But when we view that, that that we are all broken already then then the question isn't, should we seek to become poor? But rather, we we already are, in some ways, if we, have we just have we discovered it. But then, um, a bit more practically, I think we could all, uh, or, or most of us in North America, live a bit less lavishly in order to help uh, one another. You know, that when we say we have nothing to give, is that really the case? Or have we just maybe not... Uh, not let go of some of our creature comforts quite enough yet to be able to uh, to free up those funds or free up time energy resources whatever it might be in order to to, to help
0: yeah yeah i think that's a really good way of of answering that because uh man i just, i just know so many people in the west where with the best of intentions they view their desire for wealth in the lens of I will have so much more to give and (laughs) that's, you know, like um, this is an example from from a a friend of a friend Uh, a friend of mine is a a doctor and he has a colleague um, who had said to him that he hopes one day if only he could make a million dollars a year he felt like he could give away half of it you know, and, you know, and my friend is, like, you know, also a doctor, so, you know, doing, doing pretty well financially, not quite that well, uh, and he was, like, you know, I just, it, it kind of hit him that, like, okay, that's a lot of money to give away, but that also, that's a lot of money to feel like you need for yourself, uh, it, and, and it, it's hard to find that, that balance of, like, okay, this is, there's not like one standard that we should be like, okay, the, the Christian, uh, Christ followers should be living on this amount of money, and whatever they make above that, they should give it away. But there is definitely the sense that we should live as we can, uh, that, m- that most of us uh, could live on a little less, so that others could have enough, and yeah. that, that really being being the goal. Um Last question for you, and then I'll let you go. And this one is pretty simple. Just if if someone could just what what is the one thing if, if only someone could only take one thing away from the book, uh, what would you want it to be? Oh,
1: uh, I I think I'd point them to to Micah six eight. I think that summarizes it very well. You know live justly, love mercy and walk humbly. You know, we, we live in this relationship with God um, that that's the source of so much for us. It's, it's the source of, of, of strength of compassion and grace and love and sorts of our, our, provision. And, and when we live in that relationship, then we will, we will act justly in this world, which means sharing, which means living generously, we will love mercy, which means we'll have compassion. It means we'll live in this uh, live in this relationship with God. I unpack that word in the book a little bit more, the word for mercy, uh, but I won't go, go into that now, but then also to, to walk humbly, that there's there's so much pride and arrogance in this conversation, typically, where we, we want to say what we know uh, is best for other people, and Oh man, I, I don't even know what's best for myself all the time. So how do I always know what's best for someone else, other than to to point them back to the Lord who created them, and and see what He has to say. But that that if we if we're seeking the Lord and we're um choosing to to live in ways that that are just, and we're choosing to um to embody this concept of mercy in our everyday lives and 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 then we, we walk humbly as we do that. Uh, I, I think a lot of it kind of works itself out, you know. A lot of it starts to, to look a lot more like Jesus than, than what it often does when it's just a program or a, an institution.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right, well, Kevin, I want to thank you for taking time to be on the podcast today. And uh, as you are saying, again, the book is Faithful and Small Things, How to Serve the Needy When You're One of Them. Published by Harold Press and uh, will be coming out in the middle of March. So I really recommend that you you pick it up. It is a different perspective on poverty relief than you might be used to getting, uh, and it's very it it, it uh, it's very humble. It, it very much uh, hits that that Michael 68. Um, Kevin walks uh, out what he preaches uh, in this book, and I think you'll be blessed by it.
1: Thank you.